0: All right, well, welcome everyone, welcome to CCF. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name's David, and I'm one of the uh, staff here at CCF, and I get the privilege of, of teaching us tonight. So, if you're just joining us, we are in the third week of a series called Rooted, so there it is. Um, and in this series, we're going through the book of Colossians, which is a, uh, a letter in the Bible that. Paul, an ancient uh, leader, wrote to a group of young Christians in Colossae. And his goal in writing this letter was that they would become rooted, okay? Um, and so we've been going through this letter asking ourselves, what does it mean to be firmly rooted in Jesus? How do we sink our deep root our roots deep into Jesus so that we can be rooted and Oh, good job, you guys. Rooted and fruited. I love that. Um, And our faith can go the distance so that when we're out of here, we will live a, a firm life, but also a fruitful life. So last week, Jeff talked about the centrality of Christ and that a rooted faith sees Jesus as the unrivaled and supreme Lord of one's life. Amen. And so tonight we're going to talk about The importance of responsibility—that being rooted, what it means to be rooted in responsibility—and so here's kind of my main thought. So you can get this down. I don't check out, but you know, I guess if you checked out after this, you'd have the main thought. But so being rooted in Christ means taking responsibility for others, even when it costs me personally. That's our theme. That's what we're going to talk about. Being rooted in Christ means. Taking responsibility for others, even when it costs me personally. So when I think of the importance uh, of taking responsibility for others, I think of parenting. <laughs> parenting, yes. So uh, I am married uh, to my wonderful wife, Shelly, and we are parents to four wonderful kids. There's uh, a couple of years ago a photo of us. Um, so the very essence of responsibility in my mind is being a parent where we're, we're seeking to care for, protect, train kids to help them grow up, be healthy, productive members of society, right? Mature people. That's what parents do, or at least that's what parents should do, right? That's, that's kind of the idea. Now, many of you may also know that Shelly and I right now currently are fostering uh, two little beautiful Hispanic girls, Alma Luna and Estrella. So we got their photo. I know. Aren't they adorable? And we've been on an kind of almost two-year journey with these wonderful girls. Um, and having them with me has been this constant reminder of what happens when parents don't take responsibility for their children, has been the case for these girls. For when we got Alma Luna she's the older one there. Um, when we got her, she'd been living in a van during the winter. She had a dozen or more documented cases of scabies. She was malnourished. She was behind in her physical development, and she tested at a special ed level uh, socially and cognitively. So when parents don't take responsibility for caring for their children, the effects are devastating right, personally and at a societal level. But the opposite is true as well, right? When parents or when other people step up into responsibility to care for others, great things happen. So tonight, I want to call us, or I think probably better, Jesus wants to call us to deeper levels of responsibility to those that are around us. And I want us to think about this, especially as, as we're coming near to the end of the year. I know we're not quite halfway through spring quarter, squorter, quarter but we're getting nearer, sporter, right? Because you're up studying late and you've had too much coffee to drink. So, but I want us to think about next year, okay? What will next year look like? What will it mean for each of us to step into deeper levels of responsibility, whether it's in our personal faith, here in the community at CCF, our mission at WWU, some of you, some of you won't be here because you failed. No, you graduated, (laughs) right? Because you graduated. And you'll be off to new places, new work environments and and churches. What will it look like for you to take responsibility to step up in those areas? And what potential good will happen, could happen next year if we step into these places of responsibility Or what potential good won't happen? Because we didn't choose to step into greater responsibility. So that's what we're going to look at. So our passage, we're in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up there. Um, If you don't know where it is, that's okay. You can just look at table contents or somebody can help you. We'll have the words on the screen. And we're going to be looking at Colossians 1, 24 through 2, chapter 2, verse 4. And it's it's a kind of a lengthy passage. And we are going to read it all. Because that's what we do. We just read some scripture, okay? Um, thank you. So as we read it, as I read it, and you follow along, I, you, don't get lost in all the details. There's going to be a lot of stuff about mysteries of Christ and this and that, and whoo, your head will be spinning. What I want you to pay attention to is I want you to pay attention to Paul, who is the, the author of this letter, his deep sense of responsibility for the church, just listen to that. Where do I see his sense of responsibility for the church, and what is it costing him to do this? Okay? So, we're going we're gonna to read this, um, Colossians 124, okay? And there it is. Very, I was wondering if you could see it. I guess you can see that. So, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He, being Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in the body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Whoo! Okay, did you get that? Everybody got that? Should we just bow our heads and pray in response to that? Okay. Let's unpack a little bit of it. Again, there's a lot of stuff there that we won't get to, but I do want to pull a few things out as we think about what it means to be rooted in responsibility. And so the first thing I want us to think about is that a rooted faith is a for you faith. That Paul has a for you faith. Did you catch as we read that text how, how other-centered Paul was? His, that Paul was concerned about these believers' faith. So back to verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. We'll cover that later. For the sake of his body, which is the church. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. And for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not met me personally. So, for you, right? For you. I'm suffering for you. For the Gentiles. For all. Even those who I haven't met. And so, a genuine faith roots us not only in Jesus, like Jeff talked about last week, but it roots us in Jesus's people. To be a rooted Christian is to be rooted not just in Christ, but that means to be rooted in God's people. So I want to ask us, I want to ask you, do you have a for you faith or a for me faith? A for you faith or a for me faith? I think a lot of Christianity today goes down as a for me faith. Some people have, I've heard it called as a consumer Christianity. And so this is, this kind of Christianity is when I'm primarily concerned about what I as an individual, as a consumer of Christianity can get out of a Christian service, out of a Christian small group or a Christian community. And so, and the chief question asked by a for me faith kind of person is what is in it For me. What do I get out of this service? What do I get out of this small group? What do I get out of this one-to-one? It's a faith that revolves around my likes, my feelings, my personal fulfillment. And really, others only matter to the degree that they can help meet my personal expectations. And here's kind of the subtext of the for me faith. Rather than thinking about taking responsibility for others, the mindset is, Others are responsible for my experience, so you come in and it 's the worship team's job i 'm going to talk to you guys over here to make me feel good and to play music I like and to make me feel a buzz in jesus right that 's your job it 's the speaker 's job to be entertaining and funny, which I, you know you can tell me later if you think that's true. <laughs> I mean that's just a you know. It's, the, it's the, my small group leader's responsibility to, to bring, to, to really bring at every core meeting and, and, you know, to just bring something dynamic or exciting or just to be, you know, fun. And if, if any of these folks, they fail to meet my expectations, well, then, you know, I might just, I just might, I might just go shopping. I might just check out the next place, see who's got the best band or the better speaker. And what I think this approach will lead to is it leads to people kind of hopping around, right? And I'll say this. Now, when you're, if you're a freshman or new with us or you're just checking things out, it's, it's important to kind of, you know, check things out and go to different ministries, and that's reasonable, okay? So I'm not talking about that. But if you've been here for a while, like all year, and you're still kind of popping around and checking out things, I want to encourage you to stop, And to find a place to root yourself, a community, a people to root yourself in. They might not have the best worship. They might not have the funniest speakers. But to find a people to belong to and begin to sink your life into their lives. Right? This is how we begin to mature. Can you imagine a tree or a plant if you just start uprooting it all the time? And "Eh, it's there for a month. I want it over here. Boom. I want it over here. it's not going to grow very deep roots, and it's probably not going to have fruit, right? It will be stunted, it will be immature, and it won't bear fruit. And so maybe for some of us, as we think about what Paul's talking about here, is we just need to have a change of mindset. That's what repent means, just to change my mind about how I think about community and my, my faith. Maybe I just need to plant myself in a community. Next year, if you haven't decided where you're landing in a community yet, next year you need to land. We're gonna we're gonna hold you to it. Okay? Doesn't mean you can't visit once in a while other places, but sink yourself into a real community and stay there. Okay, so that's the first thing I want us to think about. Another thing is real responsibility or a rooted faith seeks to help others become rooted. So when we look at this, the, you know, this section of passage, we see that not only is Paul not just in it for himself, but he is in it to intentionally help others mature, to become rooted. That's, his, that's what he's all about. So we look at verse 28 and 29. He, being Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And then we jump down to verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, and so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So do you catch this? Paul assumes it's his responsibility to help others mature. That it's on, kind of on him to help them know Christ, to experience Christ in the, in the fullest way. That that's his responsibility. You know what the sign of maturity is? Do you want to know if you're mature? Well, here's one way to think about it. You've reached maturity when you assume it's your responsibility to help others reach maturity. Does that make sense? Maturity means I'm helping others. I'm assuming that role, that responsibility to help somebody else reach maturity. So Paul says to do that, he serves, he suffers, he works hard, he teaches, he prays, he contends for these younger Christians. That's just what mature people do. That's what rooted people do. They take responsibility to intentionally work hard to help other people sink their lives deeply into Christ. So I want you to think back when you first came to Western. Now, for some of us, whew, that's going back a long way, okay? Because I was a student here one time, a long time ago, okay? So how many of you would say that somebody, somebody, and maybe somebody's more than one, but somebody took responsibility to welcome you, to reach out to you, to invite you into community. Maybe they handed you a cookie. You know, CCFers are known for doing that. We just have this thing about cookies and handing them out. Um, to meet with you, to, to, to spend time with you, to grow in Jesus. How, how many would say you could think of somebody who took responsibility for you. Just, let's, let's see, a raise of hands. Okay, so a, a good majority. I bet you there's even probably a few more of us. Some of us, of course, if you're a visitor, you would say, well, maybe, maybe not, okay? I can think of, you know, I can think of my first small group leader. His name was Nick Holt, and he was the the... Do you remember Nick Brady? That he was the, just the funniest guy. He was just so funny. We were, he had a briefcase and would walk around with a coffee cup, and <laughs> I don't know. But he reached out to me. He reached out. We went. We went. I remember we go to Lake Wacom to uh, and get the canoes through Western, and it was awesome. It was awesome. Talk about girls and life and all that kind of stuff. Okay, <laughs> but he was intentional. He was. He felt a responsibility for this. This freshman guy. Now I want to ask another question. How many of you think that it will be your responsibility next fall to welcome, to encourage, to reach out in love, to help incoming students experience Jesus and to grow a deep and rich life in Christ? How many of you think that's your responsibility next year? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I want to see a lot of hands. I want to see a lot of hands. And you know what? Even if you're graduating, I realize some of you are graduating and you won't be here. But you can still pray for us. You can still support. You can still be involved in the work. And and you're going to have to find places of responsibility to reach out in your work environment or in the church you go to to initiate and be responsible and not just assume that it's all supposed to happen towards you. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility to be available for others. So I want to ask, what will that look like for, for those of especially those of us who are re- returning next year? How will you, how will I intentionally take responsibility for others? You know, I know some of you are right now, you are in the midst of considering leading a small group with CCS, either as a CORFA or maybe a CORFA in training, a CIT, or maybe you're thinking about serving on the worship team or helping out with a tech team or or serving as an officer. Um, Maybe some of you at this uh, very moment are are deciding whether you're going to lead core again, like you're a CORFA now and you're deciding whether you're going to lead again. And can I just say for for our present corpus, could you please pray about it? Could you please pray about it? Ask Jesus what he would like you to do. Ask him what what responsibility might look like for you next year. Because we really need our new incoming leaders to have some veteran, seasoned, wily veteran leaders who can help our new leaders, okay? What will taking responsibility look like for you next year? And again, of course, if you're graduating, you'll have to kind of think, what will it look like for me to to initiate with other folks and serve, okay? Whether it's a formal role or it's an informal role, we're all called to take responsibility. Do you guys catch the the workday announcement, right, right? Here's a chance for us to help some incoming freshmen experience (laughs) being rooted in community. But we need to step up and, you know, pull some roots up. These are good roots to pull up, you know, weeding, gardens, that kind of thing, okay? We don't want to, yeah, you get what I'm saying, okay? We're all called to help others be rooted in Christ, in his community, in his mission, okay? So uh, a rooted faith is a for you faith. A rooted faith seeks to help others become rooted, step up, and finally, being rooted in responsibility is something that will cost me personally. Being rooted in responsibility is something that's going to cost me personally. Anybody who's parented or who's taken on a responsibility for God's family, which can be just as wild and woolly at times, knows that there's always a real cost, Right? You know, Shelly and I are in the throes of being reminded, you know, my youngest daughter, is, is, she's 17. So it's been a long time since we've done the no sleep thing, the diaper thing, all that kind of thing, right? And so we're being reminded of the cost. You're like, no sleep, oh, that's a cost. And, and, oh, no free time, that's a cost. That's a little bit of exaggeration. Shelley would say, actually, David, you do take free time, which is true, <laughs> I will admit. Um, she doesn't so much, but... Uh, Uh, And it takes money and all this kind of stuff. Responsibility always costs the person who steps into it. So let's listen. Let's go back and see how Paul, as he's taking responsibility for these Colossian believers and for the broader church of his day, let's listen to what he has to say about this. Now, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So Paul has a for you faith. He says, I am suffering for you. And literally, he was in chains. He was chained to a prisoner while he's writing this. I'm sure that was inconvenient at times, awkward at times, to always have somebody chained to you. I'm sure that that, that, that soldier probably got to hear about Jesus, so I'm, I'm sure about that. And it, Paul had all kinds of other sufferings, things that it cost him in, in stepping into his role of, in leadership, his responsibility. So I pulled a text from us, for us from 2 Corinthians 11, just to give us a little bit broader view of what stuff Paul's having to go through here. So Second Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, and it is up there. And this is Paul. I have I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. i faced danger from rivers and from robbers. i faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked Hard and long, endured many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. <laughs> Mic drop. Bam. <laughs> right? Boom. There you go. Corfus, you thought you had it hard to lead a corps, right? <laughs> I don't you know, probably, it's probably, It probably hasn't been that rough leading a small group at CCF. Probably not, all right. <laughs> Those who take responsibility for the work of the gospel, for helping others mature and become rooted, face hardship and will pay a price. Now, I do want to, I just, so Corfus, could you stand for a minute? Our small group leaders? Corfus are, Corfus are people who lead our core. Small group leaders. All right. Thank you. I just think it's good to, you know, you, you might not get rocks thrown at you in core. I mean, I hope not. That'd be rough, okay? But we do recognize that there's a, a, a price to pay uh, for leadership, you know? Worship team, PA folks, right? Ooh, shout out for them. They, there's a price to pay. Woo! Yeah, Wilson. Okay? Whenever we step into responsibility, there, it does cost. It does cost. Now, I want us to look back at verse 24. As Paul kind of, he talks about rejoicing in his suffering. And then he goes on to say, and I thought we should just look at this first because it's kind of a weird verse. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church. I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Hmm, that's, a, that's, a, that's a interesting. What is he saying? Well, I want to, first of all, I, what, he's, what I think he's not saying. I don't think he's saying that somehow Jesus' death on the cross was inadequate or somehow incomplete, and now he somehow has to take on more suffering and affliction in order to really seal the deal for us. No, I don't. he's not saying that. When, when Christ suffered, he suffered in a unique and a once and for all way for all people for all time. So it's a complete suffering that Jesus had. But in another sense, Jesus' sufferings continue throughout history. His suffering continues throughout the suffering that his people experience, which Paul says his body, the church. Those that seek to bring the gospel when they suffer. Christ himself suffers. When the body suffers, the head suffers, right? It's all kind of all joined together. And so I think Paul is saying when he or when anyone suffers for sharing the gospel, for helping others grow in faith, that they are participating in the ongoing sufferings and afflictions of Christ. Right? And, and the sufferings they do go on, right? I mean, Paul talks about his, um, and the reality is that it goes on in, in, in our world today in very real ways. You know, I just encourage us, it's a little bit of a tangent, but you, you know, you can go on to a, a website like Voice of the Martyrs or Open Doors, and these are organizations that track and support the persecuted church, uh, Christians throughout the world. And I went on and just quickly found uh, uh, this stat, that uh, Every month, it's the next slide there. Every month, each month, 1 in 12 Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. 255 Christians are killed. 66 churches are attacked. 160 Christians are detained without trial and imprisoned. And that happens every month. So it just stacks up and stacks up. So when Paul talks about experiencing in his body Uh, the afflictions of Christ, it's a very real thing. It really still happens. And, And I would say this, friends, that this is the way of the gospel. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of the cross. When you and I step up and take responsibility to share the gospel, to share Christ's message, when we step up to help others grow in Jesus, there is a personal cost that's involved. But in that cost, I would also say there's real fruit. The church grows. The sacrifices of love and responsibility when done in Jesus' name, I believe, always bear fruit, will always advance the gospel. I think that's why Paul says, I, can re- I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. I don't think it's because Paul really likes to suffer. That would be weird, and he should go into counseling, right? He rejoices because of what happens Because it's bearing fruit. It works good in the church. So when we root ourselves into real responsibility, we are rooting ourselves into the sufferings of Christ, into hardship. But it bears fruit. The gospel advances. And so here's our little saying, right? A rooted faith is a fruited faith, and a fruited faith is a contagious faith. We grow roots, fruit grows. That becomes contagious, and others jump on board. Ironically, the church most grows when the church suffers and is persecuted. That's just how it seems to go when there's hardship. So let's ask this question. What will taking responsibility for the sake of others next year cost you? What might be the cost you're going to have to pay for taking responsibility? And it's probably not going to be as extreme as the... the, the what our brothers and sisters around the world face, the, the slide I just showed you, but there will be cost, right? It might be something as simple as, oh, next weekend it just cost me a few hours to go weed in a garden, to go clean somebody's house for the sake of a freshman whom I've never met. Notice Paul said he, he labors for people he's never met, Right? Some of you might uh, might have chosen to pay the cost financially by going back into the residence hall and that's a cost financially and you've you've embraced that for the sake of others it's a for you faith for others faith Others of you might cost some free time maybe at the beginning of next year's move in opening weekend when all those Crazy freshmen, some of you were there, you remember that, not just too long ago, moving in, clueless, not knowing what to do, where, where things are, and there was many people to help you, both at the university level, but in this community as well. It might cost some of us a weekend of fun and leisure to go hang out with freshmen who we don't even yet know. That might be a price that Jesus would say, would you, would you pay that for the sake of others? Others of you, if you're choosing to lead a core or uh, to participate, you know some other ministry or former service, or some of you are going to be RAs, things like that. You know, there's real cost of leisure time, right? You just all of a sudden you pack your schedule. There's one other thing I want to share that I uh, that comes out of our text that I, I want to challenge us to embrace the cost. It's something we all can and should do as followers of Jesus. And that is to embrace the cost of prayer, praying for the work of Christ in our campus, for praying for others. So I, this, this question struck me, and I was convicted by it: Does prayer cost me anything? Does my prayer cost me anything? For, per, for Paul, prayer was costly. It was part of his responsibility was costly prayer. So we see in verse 29, he says, to this, and we'll, we'll, we'll read these and then we'll kind of explain what's going on there. Because I think they have to do with prayer. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And then down in verse 2, he says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. That word contend or contending is, can also be translated struggle or struggling that's a labored striving. There's the Greek word for you. I'll probably butcher it, but agonizomai, close enough. Which means literally striving as in the agony of a conflict. And we see this word in some other Verses in the scripture, and we understand it's about it's often used in terms of prayer, and which is what I think Paul is meaning here. So later in Colossians, uh, in chapter 4, verse 12, he'll speak of his fellow worker Epaphras, and he says, Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you, and that's that word, he's striving in agony. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and it's that word in agony, in, in its wrestling conflict. For our sakes, he wrestled in prayer, right? For the Colossians' sake, Paul and Epaphras wrestled in prayer. And this is, a, this is not just, a, yeah, Lord, bless those freshmen, amen. Whew, peace out. Boom. It's like, I'm going to pray. I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to pray for my, my, my neighbor, my classmate, who annoys me to no end. I'm going to wrestle in prayer. I'm going to spend some time, it's going to cost me some time, some energy to pray. And I think I want it to start there because if really, honestly, if if, if responsibility doesn't start in prayer, it probably doesn't really go anywhere, right? And Paul, we've already seen, he's all about prayer. He prays for these these Colossians. He prays for the people he's trying to, to mentor and be responsible for. And I had this thought, perhaps it's when we begin to agonize and count the cost in prayer, maybe then it's when we really can begin to count the cost in the day-to-day decisions to live for others. And so I think I want to just call us, you know, to, to this agonizing prayer, beginning to pray for others, not just for me, but I will pray for you, right? That's, that's a responsible kind of prayer maturing prayer. Now we're still invited to pray for ourselves. Of course we can pray for ourselves. And Jesus loves us to pray for ourselves but he wants us to mature and begin to to have a a deepened life of prayer for others. And so I want us to just think about what will taking responsibility, what will it cost you, what will it cost me? I want to end with this. Here's the good news that when it comes to embracing the cost whether it's in prayer or our finances or our lifestyle or our time, we're not on our own. This isn't just something I have to sit there and kind of muster up and, oh, get responsible, David. Mm. Yeah, I didn't feel responsible. You know, it's not that. It's having the Spirit of Jesus help us." Do you see that in verse 29? He says this, "To this end, I strenuously contend with all my energy No, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me." So it wasn't by Paul's natural power, or because he was just a good guy had good feelings. It was because he was energized by the spirit. He was energized by the spirit of Jesus, the one whom he had persecuted when he persecuted Jesus' followers, Jesus' body. And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He had experienced grace, had been forgiven, and had been energized by that love that Jesus gave to him. And when we experience that, and allow the Spirit to energize us, I think we begin to become responsible for others. We realize, just as the Lord was responsible for me, now he calls me to be responsible for others. And so it's Christ living in us. It's Christ's energy in us. It's Christ's love for us that I think helps us to step into greater responsibility and embrace the cost, even when it costs us significantly. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. And we're just going to take a minute, in just a second we'll put some questions up there for us to reflect on. Um, And we'll just have a, a, a brief few minutes where those questions will be up there and you can kind of begin to reflect and pray. And if you need to agonize a bit in your prayers over that, that's fine. But just allow Jesus to talk to you about what does it look like to be rooted in responsibility? What will that look like next year? What will it cost me, and, 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 and how will the Spirit help me in that? So let's, let's pray, and then we'll have a, a few minutes to reflect on this, and then the worship team will lead us in a song after that, and then we'll close. Lord, we thank you. Uh, Lord, you are the responsible one. You are the one who, who we know it was not about yourself. You, it wasn't a for me kind of thing. It was uh, for, for others. It was, it was for us here that you came and reached out and loved and taught and suffered and died and rose again. Um, not because you needed any of that, but because we needed rescuing. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for taking responsibility The mess of this world and the mess of our lives, you took it on yourself. And you said, I'll be responsible for that. I'll shoulder that. I'll take it to the cross. And I'll bear it at great cost to myself so that we might know life. Thank you. You are the responsible one, Lord. And so we first just want to worship you and thank you. And we just ask as we reflect on these questions that your spirit's presence and power will will touch us and help us to step into whatever way you want us to into a, a greater responsibility. We thank you, Jesus.